This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, Managing Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, senior reporter at Jezebel. This week during the historic hurricane that has left Texans dead, thousands displaced and homeless, and just miles of property damaged, Trump announced his official pardon of Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And I mean, this is gross, but it's not like he was just like, oh, this is on my list. I'm just going to get it done because I don't have anything else to do this week. This was a clear plan that he did on purpose. Well, a lot of people think it was the right thing to do, John. And actually, uh, in the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assumed the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. You know, the hurricane was just starting. So aside from how utterly despicable that is, let's also talk about how utterly despicable Joe Arpaio is. I'm just going to throw out some facts. And these are as reported by the Phoenix New Times, who has been covering him for decades, about the criminal that Donald Trump has pardoned. So years ago, a federal judge found him guilty of racially profiling Latinos. And then guess what? He continued to racially profile Latinos. And then he was found in contempt for racially profiling Latinos. He segregated undocumented inmates and put them in outdoor tents in under the blazing sun uh, called Tent City, which he also has referred to as a concentration camp. <laughs> I already have a concentration camp. Andy, you gonna cover me on this too? <laughs> it's called Tent City. Publicly at the Italian American Club, you call Tent City a concentration camp. I never Why? called it concentration. I've seen it. No, no well, you've seen it. it. No, I, I don't it. call it a concentration camp. You did. You well, said we have I, a concentration. Numerous inmates have died under his watch. He's settled, costing taxpayers millions of dollars. Settled lawsuits alleging abuse by the guards or ignoring inmate abuse as this was happening. And the federal government has actually called his jails like torture cells or houses of torture. So that's not, and that's not even half of it. Uh, Amongst other insane things that he's done, he also is a birther and sent a deputy out to Hawaii to find Barack Obama's birth certificate. He staged an assassination attempt against himself And that cost taxpayers more than $1 million. And this is not even half of the shit that Arpaio has done. But anyway, Donald Trump pardoned him just weeks after he uh, also kind of sided with neo-Nazis. So I think we have a pretty good idea of the kind of people that Donald Trump supports. So basically, he went to Texas. He 
he and Melania like walked around in like FEMA chic outfits and he did some meetings. He said, wow, what a crowd. Thank you for coming out. Wow. So many fans. Blah. (laughs) And he like congratulated all like the FEMA officials who have become very famous because of this hurricane. But then he tweeted on Wednesday After witnessing firsthand the horror and devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey, my heart goes out even more so to the great people of Texas, which is a nice sentiment, except he didn't meet a single victim of Hurricane Harvey and saw none of the devastation. And and I love that he was also, he's obsessed with crowd size. And he remarked again. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. It's a freaking hurricane. They can't go anywhere. Like, they're stuck. They're not here for you, Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, he would have gotten a much bigger crowd size if he had gone to one of, like, the centers where people were being, like, housed temporarily because there are are 8,000 people in one of them. However, the point of that was that now reporters who are with Donald Trump when he toured Texas, one named Andrew Beatty, who works for the AFP, he said, I traveled with the president yesterday. Personally, I would not claim to have seen Harvey's horror and devastation firsthand. And then Donald Trump also did an Instagram being like, I saw the horror and devastation, but the picture, like the best picture they could find, pointed out by former Gawker, current Wired senior writer Ashley Feinberg, is a picture of him in a conference room looking at like a, a weather map. And it's like, I witnessed the horror, but he's looking at a map in a conference room. (laughs) It's really just, I like, I mean, it's hard to continue to be surprising and horrifying in the way that Donald Trump is. You can't write that in fiction. It's, I mean, I think it's just like very hard to like continue to be so true to your own character in new and surprising ways. It really is every single week. Every single week. Every we're single surprised. week. I am still surprised by this man, which is terrifying, actually. I want him to stop surprising me. Same. <laughs> I mean, but at least let's remark on that. Later on in the episode, we're going to be speaking with people who are working on Hurricane Harvey. Marcy Roth from the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies. Most of what gets donated ends up not being useful. And Allison Carlman from Global Giving about relief efforts in Texas. You know, we know that this is a disaster that is going to take years, if not decades, to recover from, and Houston will probably never be the same. But first, our week in weenies. Joel Austin, he's a millionaire preacher at the mega church Lakewood in Houston. He's a preacher of something called the prosperity gospel, which is Donald Trump is actually a big fan of. He had a prosperity gospel preacher at his inauguration and it preaches that every, like its central tenant is everyone can be prosperous. It's very money based, but he became one of the Hurricane Harvey primary weenies and a favorite of Twitter when the Lakewood Church Facebook page posted something saying that the church was inaccessible due to severe flooding. And then some reporters went in and photos were taken showing that there was only like a tiny bit of water on the ground. And it's a mega church. It could have housed many, many thousands of people. And he was like, no, we can't. We can't flooding. But then someone, he got called out on it and they were like, oh, we didn't not invite people in because of flooding. We didn't invite people in because Houston never asked us to invite people in. Which Also as if like Houston is one person. It's like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Joel, Joel answers the phone. Hello, who is this? 
Houston. <laughs> Houston, That's can you true. open your doors for I mean, all of the people who live in my city? We know that like, G- like, like Jesus <laughs> historically didn't accept his like spiritual mission until Houston called him on the phone and asked him to do it. You're like, Jesus, please feed a poor. Um, anyway, he is so stupid. And then he was on CBS and he said, well, you know, Gail's, our doors have always been open. That's not true, bitch. Maybe he means like, like literally they are able to open. Like they like were not you locked. Can, yeah. They, maybe they weren't all locked. Like somebody could have opened a door there. That's a, that's a and great guess. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Can I can I say something really rude about yeah, Joel Austin? Yeah, please. I think that he deserves it because please he's say a terrible person. Um, his face bothers me. It yeah, sort his of face has become kind of famous because yeah. of this. And so for me, his when I look at his face, you know how like wax museums have the whole like like the like a bad wax sculpture will be like, like very uncanny valley. He's like a human wax. Sculpture of Uncanny Valley, but actually a real person. That's so and true. It's very unsettling. It's, un- it's totally <laughs> unsettling. He's live mummified. And he's super rich. And he's <laughs> so rich. He's got so much money. All right. Our next weenie is, well, that's actually a group of weenies that have all been, most of these people have been featured before, but it's House Republicans who voted against federal aid for Hurricane Sandy, but are now requesting aid for Harvey, specifically Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. Obviously, Texans deserve aid, and everyone in Houston should be getting the all the help that they can get from the federal government. But I think in this moment, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn and all of the other House Republicans who are doing like a total 180 have really revealed how shitty they are as human beings because they only seem to remember their humanity when a tragedy specifically affects them. That is the Republican thing. It really is. I'm immortal. Nothing bad is happening to me. Bad things happen to people who are worse than me. And then something bad happens to them and they're like, oh no, but this is different because it's happening to me. Exactly. So now I care about it. They're like small government, no government until I need help then big government help me. I (laughs) literally do not see how there's another argument to be made in this situation. If I'm a Republican and I love Ted Cruz, what other way is there to explain him not wanting federal aid for Hurricane Sandy? Oh, yeah. his Well, his reasoning, like he talked about this earlier this week and it was such bullshit. He was just like, well, the bill for Sandy like included all this other stuff that wasn't relevant to Sandy, which is not true. (laughs) It was specifically for Hurricane Sandy. And honestly, they just like lie to themselves, and those lies become political truths that are then repeated. If you lie enough times, it becomes like the Republican platform. That's true. Our next weenie is Ivanka. Yes, welcome (laughs) back, Ivanka. So, on this podcast and in the world, it's been a running joke that every time Ivanka asks for something, Donald Trump does the opposite. Or every time she's like, I care about climate change, he burns down a tree or something. However, this time that didn't even happen. So um, the White House announced that it's going to roll back an Obama era rule that requires businesses to begin collecting data about how much they pay different workers of different ethnicities and different genders and blah, 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 all just to begin to build data on wage disparities. Mm -hmm. Honestly, what is wrong with that? You know, though, this—I'm so skeptical of this administration that I'm like, 
what are they going to do with that data? I bet they're going to find more ways to discriminate <laughs> against That's true. people. But luckily, they people won't be color. able to do that because they're rolling back that program. <laughs> and guess who supports that rollback? Ivanka, whose literal sole platform is women in the workplace, is women who work. Okay, so she supported the decision to roll this back. Again, why? It's literally like taking numbers, putting them in a big spreadsheet. You know, she said, ultimately, while I believe the intention was good and agree that pay transparency is important, the proposed policy would not yield the intended results. We look forward to continuing to work with the EEOC, OMB, Congress, and all relevant stakeholders on robust policies aimed at eliminating the gender wage gap. She simultaneously acknowledges that the gender wage gap exists, which is something considering a lot of Republicans won't acknowledge that it exists. And then also is like, but actually it's not a problem. And also this is about gender wage gap and also ethnicity and race wage gap. And right. she just like doesn't say that. She's like, I'm not, leaves I don't that, care about leaves that. that out. <laughs> I wonder like women who work, like how does Ivanka support them? I bet her, like I, her understanding of that is just like, I support like a woman walking into an office building. She supports women's right to work. Yeah. <laughs> It's And it's very much like a theoretical. Like, in theory, yeah. if a woman wanted to go to work, she should be able to. <laughs> Congrats for being Very much in work. theory. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Joining us is Marcy Roth, the CEO of the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies, which is part of disaster relief organization Portlight Strategies. She recently ended a seven and a half year presidential appointment at FEMA on January 20th, where she was the director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination. Marcy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So can you first tell us a little bit about your organization and what you guys focus on? So the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies is a new organization that brings together uh, national disability organizations, state and local organizations, along with first responder organizations, uh, public safety folks, public health folks, all working together to plan for, respond to, and participate in recovery from disasters to make sure that children and adults with disabilities and older adults are equally included and served throughout the disaster cycle. So how are the needs of this population different from the general public during a relief and disaster situation? Folks' needs are really not different as long as they have equal physical access, program access, 
and effective communication access, which means if people can get the information that they need and take action, if they can evacuate, if they can get to a place of safety, if they can get their health maintenance needs met throughout the uh, period in which they're evacuated, and if they can begin the process of getting home again or getting on with their lives along with everybody else, then people with disabilities don't have additional needs. These are the needs that the whole community has for making sure that everybody is able to receive what it is they need in order to get to safety and then get on with their lives. But I'm guessing that most people don't have those things. Most people do not have those things. And there's often a focus on, uh, you know, people need to take personal responsibility. Uh, and and uh, people with disabilities are very resourceful. We solve problems probably more often than people who don't have disabilities. We're very good at uh, problem solving. But when we're not given information in accessible formats, so for instance, people who are deaf or hard of hearing, if the uh, sign language interpreter in the on the TV is not shown in the camera, they're not able to get the information everybody else is getting. If uh, people are separated from their wheelchair or their service animal or whatever equipment that they need during evacuation, then they're going to need assistance that they wouldn't otherwise need if they were able to be kept with the uh, equipment and support that helps us to be independent. People with disabilities, uh, children and adults with disabilities, most of us don't have acute medical needs. Most of us live in the community along with everybody else, and we simply need the supports and resources to maintain our health just like everybody else. So what makes it particularly challenging is that there's an ongoing belief that we are somehow in need of people taking care of us when what we really need are the uh, ability to uh, uh, receive the same supports that everybody else is getting so that we can save our own lives, the lives of our family, and then participate in helping the rest of our neighborhood. Can you talk about what kinds of stories you're hearing out of Houston right now? Sure. So we operate a hotline. Our hotline has been operating since before the uh, hurricane made landfall. So we've been receiving constant requests for evacuation assistance um, uh, for people with disabilities. We've been receiving lots of uh, requests from people who need information about where to go if they use dialysis. Or, for example, we've had phone calls from folks, a mom of a young adult with autism who he does just fine as long as his situation remains fairly predictable. Uh, so she was asking for help to make sure that he could keep his iPad charged because that is a predictable feature for him. So trying to get him a rechargeable battery pack so that they can keep his um, iPad charged. Another phone call was from a family member of uh, a, an 87-year-old woman and a 91-year-old man. She is uh, in a hospital bed on the first floor. He is on the second floor. In each of those cases, we work with folks to match the right needs with the right solutions. 
Uh, in addition, we've been working very closely with the Cajun Navy, guiding them to where folks need assistance, and then following up to make sure that folks have been able to uh, get the evacuation assistance that they need. So what would you say, maybe stepping back a little bit, um, the most pressing needs are in general for the people affected? The, the most pressing needs are to be able to get to a safe location if, in fact, they want to evacuate. There are folks who probably made the decision that evacuation wasn't the best solution earlier on. But if they're now in a home that has taken on water and they have no electricity, then the weather is such that, you know, the the sun is out, it's getting hot, people don't have air conditioning, the standing water in their house is going to start to be a problem. So one of the the real needs at this point is um, uh, how people can get to safety if they need to do that. Another of the immediate needs is for people who use personal assistance services or some sort of in-home support to make sure that they can continue to get those services so they can maintain their health. Prescription medications as well. And then certainly, you know, food and water, that, you know, real basic life-sustaining stuff. And then in addition to that, people need access to information. They need to be able to know what they need to do and how they need to do it. So this is obviously going to be a long-term effort. Um, what resources will people need in the months to come and how can our listeners who aren't in Houston help? Donating money really does help. Donating bags of clothing, donating food that is just typically not going to be helpful. The work involved in sorting and and distributing is just too many layers of, of complications. And most of what gets donated ends up not being useful. So really, you know, even if somebody's only in a position to donate a dollar, donating cash really does make a difference. And for an organization like Portlight, which is in the disaster relief business, specifically serving people with disabilities. Every dollar that gets donated goes directly to serving people, children and adults with disabilities, older adults, to help them with their very immediate current needs. They will continue to have those needs for weeks, months, and uh, probably years to come as the community start to rebuild. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marcy. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Now joining us is Allison Carlman, Director of Impact and Communications at Global Giving, another charity that's helping for relief efforts in Houston. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Allison. Okay, so first, can you start off by telling us what you and your organization specifically focus on? Sure. So Global Giving is actually a crowdfunding community. So we work with organizations in over 170 countries, and basically we help them 
raise funds online and get uh, the resources they need to become more effective. And so when a natural disaster happens, we often already have partners in those areas. And so we vet every organization that's part of our community. So when Hurricane Harvey happened, we have partners on the ground already in Houston that are already working there, you know, whether it's with medical work or whatever other work that they're doing. And now they're switching over to disaster mode and serving their same communities in in the wake of the disaster. And so we are raising funds for those local organizations and some other ones that we're vetting quickly to join uh, so that we can get the funding that's needed to those local organizations that are really going to be there for the long haul in Houston. Can you talk a little bit about that vetting process? And also, because uh, I, I know that this is a major issue when people are trying to figure out what charities to donate to. They use tools like Charity Navigator, for example, and that has given Global Giving a rating of four stars, which is the highest. Um, how do you vet charities? Yeah, so Global Giving itself has been vetted by Charity Navigator, the BBC Wise Giving Alliance, and other organizations. Um, and then we also perform vetting on all of the organizations that we raise funds for. So all of the organizations on the global giving community have been vetted. Um, We've looked at the track record of serving their communities, making sure that they are having the impact that they're saying they have, make sure they're all 501c3s, which means that they're um, registered with the IRS and that they're able to receive tax-deductible donations. Can you tell us quickly what some of the charities, uh, the names of some of the charities that you're working with down in Houston? So we're supporting local organizations that really know their communities and are already making a difference, like the Houston Food Bank, Baker Ripley, the Texas Diaper Bank, the Humane Society of Dallas County. And, you know, we're also supporting some of our long-term partners that have experience responding after disasters. So, for example, an organization called Circle of Health International is actually a disaster and refugee relief organization that's based in Texas. So they're applying what they've learned from work on Katrina and with a refugee crisis now to their own community. And we're also supporting groups like the Fuel Relief Fund, which gave away more than 2,000 gallons of fuel and 500 gallons of diesel on their first day of work after the disaster. You know, they were giving 10 gallons uh, to each vehicle along in a long line of cars, allowing people to escape from the area and find shelter. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about global giving is that our focus on local organizations not only f- channels funding to the Houston area right now to help these immediate needs, but it's also really going to support the long-term recovery efforts. You know, we know that this is a disaster that is going to take years, if not decades, to recover from, and Houston will probably never be the same. And so we'll be supporting organizations that will still be working a decade from now to help people uh, eventually get back to a sense of normalcy in their lives. So I know after the Japan earthquake and tsunami, for example, we funded a group called Pitch In for Baseball, which helps um, underserved little league teams replace sports equipment that was destroyed in the disaster. And that type of stuff is really important for restoring a sense of normalcy for families and kids after a disaster so that they can get on and heal in their with their emotional and physical lives. So can you talk about maybe the difference between some of the organizations that you just mentioned and maybe the Red Cross and how all the organizations approach dealing with a, an emergency like Houston? So, you know, people need coats and meals and shelters right now, and that's what those big organizations can provide. 
Um, but we know that local organizations are also providing some of those materials and some of those resources. And we know that they're really in it for the long haul. And so that's why we're really focused on those local organizations. We think they're really best positioned to respond in the long term. And, you know, we know that less than 2% of post-disaster giving goes to local organizations. So we're really trying to raise funds for our portfolio of uh, locally driven disaster relief and recovery projects um, with whom we have established relationships and we've vetted and we're, um, we're sure of the work that they're doing. So can you give us an idea of what's happening in Houston now? What are you hearing from the different organizations you're working with uh, about relief efforts and just an on-the-ground update. Harvey has set a record for total rainfall for a single tropical cyclone in the continental U.S. So parts of Texas have had over 50 inches of rain, which is breaking all national records. This is likely the most expensive disaster in U.S. history. There's some estimates that losses will be at more than $100 billion, including property damage and um, wages and disrupted businesses. And as many as, you know, 67,000 homes can have been damaged, uh, 40,000 alone in the Houston area. There have been at least 38 deaths reported, and I'm sure, unfortunately, there will be more as, as the recovery effort goes on. So there's more than 30,000 people in shelters, and it's basically been overwhelming. I mean, this is really a, a disaster area, and it's from what we've heard from the folks that we're talking to, it's still very chaotic on the ground. Shelters are overflowing. Um, there's Currently, 9,000 or so people at the Houston Convention Center, but that has a capacity of 5,000. So uh, there are organizations on the ground that are responding. There's, you know, hundreds of shelters that have been created, but still there's tremendous need and just a lot of chaos. So can you tell us, is there a way to find these organizations on the Global Giving page? Is there, for listeners who want, who want to help, can you give us like a first step of what to do? Yeah, absolutely. So you could just go to globalgiving.org. It's the first thing you'll see on our homepage is our Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. Um, and you can give just to the fund. Um, we, we know that, you know, we really rec- encourage donors to do some research, but also know that not every donor is, has the time or the ability or the interest to do the research. And so that's why we try and make it easy. And we're doing the research for you. We've already vetted every local organization that would be receiving um, from this fund. So you can give to the Global Giving Fund, and we will disperse that money to organizations quickly as it's needed. Thank you so much, and thank you for your work. All right. Thank you. time for our only regular segment where we talk about what we're doing to handle the dicks. It's called How to Handle the Dicks. Was that good? Yeah, but it's not our only regular segment. Every segment it's is our, our only regular, regular segment where we talk about how to handle the dicks. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> is what I great, was saying. Great, great, Joanna. What are you doing? What am I doing? I went away last weekend. A long weekend. Oh, yeah, you had a wilderness upstate. time. I did. I had wilderness time. I was in the woods a lot, went upstate with a couple of friends, 
And it was just really, it was really nice. We just like cooked and well, I didn't really cook that much. I I ate and I did the dishes. That's whenever I go to like <laughs> a cabin on a group cabin trip, yeah. I'm always like, this was so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then I like uh, bring okay. a dish to a kitchen. That's, that is me <laughs> as well because I cannot cook for no, I cannot. anything. And I'm always such dead weight on these trips because of that. But then I, I do my part by like, cleaning yeah um, so, I try and do that too because that's a thing I I'm capable of yeah. <laughs> um, so so I did I, I did a few dishes I ran I hiked I jumped in a pond it was it was nice that seems and so had nice. a little fire didn't check the internet for the most part because we didn't have internet how amazing is that that's amazing. It, I mean, <laughs> I feel like going whenever I go away from the internet for like three days, and then I go back on Twitter. Twitter is ten times as stressful. It's more stressful than real life yeah. in a lot of I mean, ways. Yeah, definitely. Like it's like this well, because you're like entering Twitter's, this portal into. It's like everybody logs onto Twitter when they're stressed out. So it's like, oh, let me go hang out with my friends, but only at their most stressed and annoying. Right. When, like, I'm hanging out with you right now, I'm, like, a full person. I, like, can be happy or sad or jokey or stupid or whatever. But then on Twitter, I'm only stressed and sad. (laughs) And so, like, why would we do that? Right. And, I mean, obviously, it was, you know, also a privilege to be there when the hurricane was hitting Houston. And I wasn't super aware of what was happening over the weekend until, like, I got back and I started, like, reading everything. And I was... Obviously, it was very upsetting, and then I started thinking about, like, what I can do to help, but it's—I don't know where I'm going with this. I just— No, I mean, but I felt guilty about that, but— Yeah, I feel guilty about that, too. I mean, I didn't go away last weekend, but I feel like every weekend in 2017, you, like, you go away for one weekend, or you, like, stop paying attention for one second, and then you come back, and there's so much to feel scared about and guilty about and, like, upset about. It's true, and I think that if you're constantly feeling that way— you're just going to get worn down, and then what? So it is important to just unplug. Or at least to just not feel guilty for doing it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're one of those people who's like, after the election, was just like, I'm going to unplug, and then you never <laughs> and then you never got back in, I mean, okay. I did, I did that's, that. Maybe that's a problem, but. <laughs> um, what's my how to handle? So I'm going to Brad's parents' house this weekend, which I'm very excited for because it's very relaxing and it's just like not like an internet-y place. You like, it's on the water, you're doing activities, you're like riding a bike, you're like eating an oyster, whatever. And I'm very excited for that. Good. I guess that's it. You don't sound excited (laughs) at all. You look definitely not excited, but I believe you that you are somewhere (laughs) deep in there. I am really excited. I am so excited. I just, (laughs) all the things that I was going to say before that are all like money spending related. Mm. And I've been spending so much money recently. And I think that's my how to handle the dicks if I'm really being honest. And I'm spending too much money. I'm relying on like buying stupid shit to like make myself not tired (laughs) and like burnt out. 
I know this about myself. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I don't recommend it. This is not me recommending it. We handle stress in, I feel like, completely opposite ways. Well, I just recently, it really is not like in my life. It's just this year. Yeah. I've like become very like comfort behaviored by like skincare and exercise and just like very mindless, nice things. And it's like I've never been interested in that before I started this podcast. It's, it's it's really it's the, weird. It's all because of the podcast. Wow. No, no that's I mean the logical like, conclusion. There's only one explanation, and no, that's I definitely meant, it. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I meant before I started saying it on this podcast. <laughs> I don't mean it's obviously the election. I know. I was joking. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I was joking I too. I didn't. Wow. Okay. We are. I think we should end things there. <laughs> yeah. We are losing it. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and thank you so much to our guests and for everything they're doing in Houston. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader, and the episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. And you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Friday. And I'm really scared to think about what the world will look like then. Great ad lib. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 